0: You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. With me today is my co-host, Michelle Jewell-Shaw. Hi, Michelle.
1: Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having me again today.
0: Before we get into today's episode of Lighthearted, I'd like to say a little bit about the title. Do you know what my original title for this podcast was, Michelle?
1: Was it lightheaded?
0: Well, yes, it was. I went through a bunch of ideas before I thought of lightheaded, and I thought it was a pretty good idea. My thought was it signified people who have lighthouses on the brain, but Jeff Gales, director of the U.S. Lighthouse Society, was afraid the title lightheaded might make people afraid to listen. They might think listening would make them sick or something. So I was discussing it with my wife Charlotte, and she came up with the idea of lighthearted.
1: Meaning people who have lighthouses in their hearts.
0: Yeah, that's it exactly, and I knew right away it was the perfect title, so Charlotte gets all the credit.
1: So where are we going today, Jeremy?
0: I thought we might go to California. How does that sound?
1: Sounds good to me.
0: Our main subject for today is one of California's most iconic lighthouses at Pigeon Point and Pescadero. The town of Pescadero is just north of Santa Cruz, about 50 miles south of San Francisco.
1: Pigeon Point Lighthouse is tied for the tallest lighthouse in California at 115 feet, and it's a favorite of sightseers and photographers. Pigeon Point was first suggested as a lighthouse site in 1855, but no action was taken. Three disastrous shipwrecks in the 1860s forced the issue. After a congressional appropriation, construction began at Pigeon Point in 1871.
0: The station's steam-powered fog signal went into operation on September 10, 1871. The construction delays, including the time needed to ship the lantern from New York, meant that the light didn't go into service until November 15, 1872. A rotating first-order lens created by the Henri Lepote Company in Paris with 1008 prisms produced a white flash every 10 seconds. Before it went to California, the lens was used at Cape Hatteras Light in North Carolina.
1: The station's first principal keeper, J.W. Patterson, was paid $1,000 per year. There were also two assistant keepers, and a third assistant was added in 1873. Later in 1926, when the light was converted to electricity, the station reverted to two assistants. There was always a keeper on watch during the night, in the watch room at the top of the tower's 136 stairs. In
0: 1960, the Coast Guard raised the original dwelling and replaced it with four modern cottages. Pigeon Point remained a family light station under the Coast Guard. In 1972, a rotating aero beacon mounted on an exterior railing replaced the Fresnel lens, which was darkened but remained in place in the lantern. The station was fully automated in 1974. In
1: 1980, the station was leased to the California Department of Parks and Recreation. They, in turn, subleased the keepers' cottages and the four cottages were soon opened for overnight guests. The cottages are managed today by Hostelling International. The lighthouse tower, fog signal building, and a bookstore and picnic area comprise Pigeon Point Light Station State Historic Park. The lighthouse has been closed to the public since late 2001, after two 350-pound hunks of brick and iron fell from the cornice on the tower.
0: In September of this year, California State Parks officials announced that more than nine million dollars in state funding will go to the lighthouse for a major renovation that will take place over the next two years.
1: The work will include emergency repairs to the top third of the lighthouse tower. This funding will not pay for a complete restoration. More will be needed after that.
0: I recently had the chance to speak with Linda Hitchcock and Joe Rogers of the California Department of Parks and Recreation. We talked about the planned restoration work, about the tours at the light station, and about a special event that's coming up on November 16th. Linda Hitchcock is a state parks interpreter for Pigeon Point Light Station State Historic Park. Let's listen to the conversation I had with Linda Hitchcock now. I am speaking with Linda Hitchcock, state parks interpreter for Pigeon Point Light Station State Historic Park. Linda is managing the upcoming restoration project at Pigeon Point at the district level. Thanks so much for being with me today, Linda. I really appreciate it.
2: Oh, sure. I'm glad to be here.
0: The uh, state of California is putting more than $9 million into restoration of the, uh, I believe that's mostly of the lighthouse tower at Pigeon Point. But I understand a full restoration will cost much more than that. Are there other funding sources lined up at this point to cover the entire cost of restoration?
2: Well, um, at this point, what we're doing is we are working with um, our park partners, and that includes the um, Coastside State Park Association and then POST, which is the Peninsula Open Space Trust. And we are looking to um, raise a matching amount of funds for $9 million. And we're, we're looking at different ways to do that. Right now we have about a million dollars um, towards that goal, so we're looking to still raise the $9 additional million additional, um, and we have a number of different ideas um, for doing that. We are meeting with um, federal government representatives, um, and Anna Eschew has been helping us in her office, and we've met with their representatives to see if there's a possibility to get matching federal funds. Um, we're still just at the very um, early stages of talking to the federal government, but that's one of the avenues that we're looking into, and we're, we're hopeful of that. Um, in addition to that, our park partners are um, doing a campaign. It's called Light Up the Night to raise funds, and anyone that's interested in being part of it, Coastside State Parks Association is um, – talking to individual um, donors toward the, proce- toward the, the renovation. Um, and so we have a number of different things that we're working on, um, and we're really working to uh, raise matching funds to the $9 million.
0: Okay, so the entire cost of restoration of the Lighthouse Tower and the other buildings Uh, we're talking as much as uh, around $18 million, is that correct?
2: Yes, that's our estimate.
0: Okay, and that includes some work that's already been done, is that correct?
2: Um, Some of the work that there's been a number of things that have been done, um, and uh, so the cost, you know, so so some of the cost may be a little bit less, but the estimates um, each year as it goes by, the cost of construction goes up. So we're estimating that it's going to be $18 million. The mm-hmm. work that we um, just recently done in the t- with the tower at the keeper's office is we um, re-roofed the, the, the little building where the keeper's office was so the, um, it's totally watertight and has a brand-new roof, and we did lead abatement, and we also removed asbestos from that building. So we have a good start on that small building um, and getting that um, you know, really ready. So that's the part that we've been doing right now.
0: Okay. Now, can you describe uh, the basic components of the work that will be done uh, coming up that uh, some work is scheduled to start, I believe, uh, in this uh, coming spring, uh, especially on the Lighthouse Tower itself?
2: Yeah. The big project that we have coming up, um, and it'll be probably spring or summer when it goes out to bid, and then it's estimated it will take probably 18 months after we have a contract in place for the work to be done. Um, That project is going to be the large-scale project, it's going to be the top third of the tower, and it's going to be a stabilization and restoration project of the top third. Um, The top third of the tower is the part that we feel like is most important to get stabilized and most important to do the work on. It's the um, section of the tower where the iron belt course fell from the top of the tower down to the ground in 2001. And um, since then, there's been a temporary measure to um, hold that part together, but what we need to do is we need to do a renovation and restoration of that that whole top third, so we're really excited about getting this money um, because we just feel like that's the most needed part to be restored. there, there are some bricks at the top that need to be worked on. There's um, different pieces of metal that need work. Um, there's a lot of like uh, complicated historic restoration that needs to be done in that top third, and so um, that's why that's the priority, and that is the the scope of the project that's going to be coming up, the large scale project.
0: Right. Now the uh, first order Fresnel lens, beautiful, huge uh, lens. Um, beautiful work of uh, functional art, as I like to call them, Uh, was removed from the Lantern of the Lighthouse in 2011, and it's on display in the Fox Signal Building. I saw it when I visited there in 2015. I was there. Uh, Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about the lens, and are there plans eventually to return it to the lighthouse, to the Lantern of the Lighthouse, once that stabilization work is done, or what exactly are the plans at this point? Uh, regarding uh, the, the lens. plans
2: um, for the lens at this point? When the stabilization work is completed, we will not be moving the lens. We want to wait until the entire project is um, complete to move the lens because the lower base. Um, there's work that needs to be done, and we need to be sure that it's completely stable before we put that lens back in. If we um, get the $18 million and complete the whole project, then yes, the lens will be put back in then. But at, at the this halfway point of the top third stabilization, the plan is not to put the lens back in there. Um, and a little bit more about the lens is that um, it's a Fresnel lens. Um, it has about 1,008 prisms. It was first lit um, in sunset at uh, November 15th, um, 1872, And currently it's in our fog signal building, so people are able to come in and walk around the fog signal building. You can see it very, very up close and personal. Um, And the lens is about 16 feet tall. It's about six feet in diameter. And it weighs about 2,000 pounds. And that 2,000 pounds is the reason that we are waiting until it's completely restored to put it back up there. It's a very heavy, um, you know, weight on the building. And so we want to be sure that the building is completely done before we put that weight back up there. Sure. um, The great thing is um, having it down in the fog signal building it's actually a great way for people to be able to see the lens really up close and personal and really see um, that how each piece was crafted and um, it's very nice to be able to walk around it we can turn we have a little bulb we can turn on so people can see how the light refracts in it and everything so it's still um, very easy to to get a look at it.
0: Right. Now it's a great thing that it was uh, put on exhibit in the Fox Signal building like it was. Yeah, uh, I
3: think I really like that.
0: Yeah. Uh, now, could you uh, say a little bit more about what uh what the plans are for restoration of other buildings uh, coming up besides the uh, the lighthouse tower?
2: Sure, um we are trying to work on the whole property, the whole historic core of the property, so um a project that we have already completed is we completed renovation of the windows and doors that are inside the tower, and the reason that that was so important is that one of the problems that we have is if there's any leaking of the windows or any leaking in the doors the water gets into the bricks and then it starts to have the bricks decay and most of the building was pretty much watertight but there were certain windows and doors that needed to be replaced and um, so we're very happy that we've completed that and we're hoping to keep all the water out. The it, it's uh, It's amazing how hard it rains and how the wind really blows all the water like straight into the tower because it's coming right off the storms are coming right off the ocean and so we're really happy to have that done before winter hits Um, that was really an important project that we did and one of the other projects that we have already completed is um the new roof on the keeper's office and that was actually done by um, partially by a donation of a local roofing company knox roofing so They came out and helped us um, because we wanted to, once we had new windows, we wanted to make sure there was no water coming in through the roof, and so Knox helped us get a roof done. And also in the keeper's office, we've done a lead abatement project. There was a lot of lead paint, and we had a lot of asbestos. And so we um, have been working with a historic preservation company, and they have completely gotten rid of all the lead paint and all the asbestos in the keeper's office. So that has been very nice. Now we can bring the public in on a limited basis to come um, look at the keeper's office and look up the tower. And then one other project that we're, well, we have a couple other outbuildings that we are working on. We have a bunker, an oil bunker that we have renovated and we are going to be putting um, exhibit panels inside there. And then we have the fog signal building, which is the big building right at the end of the property that looks right over the ocean and kind of hangs over the ocean. And it has got a lot of um, water damage to the wood and to the siding, just basically from the ocean pounding up against it and the wind and the storms. And we um, received $250,000 from our cooperating associations um, to do a fog signal building renovation and then to work on the deck that's also in front of the fog signal. And that is... um, coming up really soon the the bid's going to be coming out on that and that work should be headed that'll be the first project that that started work on so we're really excited about that and and also the fog signal building is really important because we have the lens inside it so we definitely don't want wind and water and ocean coming into the building
0: definitely you may not be able to answer this next question but when do you think the lighthouse might be reopened to the public the lighthouse tower itself
2: well, I think that um right now what we are hoping for is we um have been the last couple months have been having limited term like limited time based tours where people can walk into the um, keeper's office now because it's free of lead and free of asbestos and they're able to uh, walk over to the base of the staircase and look up to the top of the tower. And we've really had a lot of um, public support for doing this, and people have really been enjoying that. So we will be doing that once a month, probably until construction starts. Um, I don't think that we have any timeline right now for when the public could actually go all the way up to the top of the tower. I mean, that's the really, we need that whole $18 million project to really be able to do that again. But what we're really hoping is that once we have the top third renovated and secured and it's all, um, you know, we don't have to worry about it, we will be able to take the big fence around that's around the the lighthouse down and then the public will be able to go on the tours of the base and then they'll be able to look up inside the um, tower as well as being able to get really close um, on the outside that long term i don't i think it's a very long term before we reopen we don't have any date or any plans at this point
0: yeah that's understandable but this will be a big step forward oh big step forward yes yeah and it's been a long time coming and uh, I'm just wondering, personally, how do you feel about this now that it looks like uh, this the stabilization project will be starting in a few months? How are you feeling about it?
2: Oh, well, I have to say, I am i think I'm just so excited. I'm, it's like one of these things we really have been working a lot, doing these really small projects. And um, we are just, uh, all of us um, are just thrilled that this is going to happen. And I think it's going to be a great um you know, things for the park and for all the people that um, come and visit the park. And it's definitely a really um, great project. Um, I think it's going to be a wonderful thing when it's done and that um, it'll be stabilized and then we can take the fencing down and people can get close to it. So, yeah, I'm very excited and very, um, I think it's going to just be a great project.
0: One final question for you. What for you is uh, most special about Pigeon Point?
2: Well, I think there's two I mean there's there's a couple of different things but one thing that I think is really special about Pigeon Point is that it's in this incredibly beautiful location. Um, you know, when you walk out there to see the lighthouse and it's so close to the edge of the cliff and you see the yeah, you know, big, huge surf and waves, and it's just a, it's an amazing natural features all around the lighthouse, and oftentimes, um, if you get there early in the morning or something, you'll see dolphins going by or whales going by, and so I think it's, like, one of the things that's very special to me is just the beauty of the setting, but the other thing that always, I, it kind of is always something—always in my mind, I think sometimes when I'm there at the park, is the maritime history of California. It's like you when you're standing at Pigeon Point Lighthouse, and now you can often see the freighters in the freighter line, the modern day freighters going into the San francisco bay. it's where where Pigeon Point is, you can actually see them coming up along the thing, and it's it's interesting to look you know out there and to see that like here today in our lives we're actually seeing much of the same thing the maritime you know history we still have a very strong maritime history in california we have a lot of um, shipping going on and i always think um... it's interesting how we we we're always going from san francisco to los angeles right we maybe now we fly on southwest airlines or we fly on another airline or we drive in our car or we you know take a train to los angeles but in that day and age people would travel by ship from san francisco to los angeles and it's interesting to me to look out into the ocean and see you know that's where like in if i lived in that day that would be how i would get to southern california it would be taking a ship and how like how often the seas are very rough, and it would be very dangerous even today to take you know a, a trip that goes past the lighthouse. So I always like um, I feel like it really like touches our history of our state and of uh, and uh, and of our, our nation in terms of the, the history that we have with the maritime history.
0: Well, that's beautifully said. So with that, uh, Linda Hitchcock, thank you so much for spending time with me today. Congratulations on this uh, project that's uh, going to be starting uh, soon, the, the uh, stabilization restoration project at Pigeon Point. And again, uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
2: Okay, and thank you for having us.
0: I also spoke with Joe Rogers, park interpreter for Pigeon Point Light Station State Historic Park. Joe is the lead person for the Pigeon Point Interpretive Program, and he is responsible for coordinating the volunteer program at the park, which includes recruiting, training, and scheduling volunteers. Let's listen to my conversation with Joe Rogers now. Thank you very much for being with me today, Joe. Pigeon Point is certainly one of the iconic lighthouses of California and the West Coast. I had the pleasure of visiting there back in 2015. Joe, uh, could you tell us a little bit about what visitors can expect when they visit there? I understand there are occasional special guided tours available of the light station.
3: Of next month and December, we'll be doing guided tours into the base of the lighthouse tower. Um, So this is actually one of the first few times in the nearly 20 years that the lighthouse has been closed that we have been able to take people inside the lighthouse Um, unfortunately we can't go up any of the stairs but we'll be able to go into the keeper's office at the base of the tower and the first level so people can look up the stairs the tours are about 30 minutes long um, and again they're on the second saturday of november and december the first tour starts at one and the last tour starts at four Um, we also do guided grounds tours here at the park uh, depending on whether we have enough docents that day or if people want to schedule one two weeks in advance for a group that they want to bring by, um, they can call the park and set that up, and we'd be happy to find somebody who can show them around. And those tours are about 45 minutes and, and are free.
0: Well, that's great. you kind of maybe partly answered my next question to some degree, but could you say a little bit more about some of the highlights uh, that people see when they go to the station? I know that one of the things... Right now that uh, people would see is uh, the Fox Signal building contains uh, the lens uh, that had been at, in the lantern at the top of the lighthouse. Uh, maybe you could say a little bit about that.
3: Yeah, that is definitely one of, the, one of the biggest highlights for people that come to our park is to be able to see that historic Fresnel lens. Um, it's, we have a first-order lens here at Pigeon Point, has over 1,000 prisms, weighs about 2,000 pounds um, and can be seen Thursday through Monday. Um, we have a 200 watt light bulb inside of it to kind of show, um, what, uh, essentially how the, the Fresnel lens works by reflecting and refracting the light into 24 panels, uh, in our, in our lens. Um, and it's, it's honestly really amazing to look at, uh, it's it's kind of funny to see people have sort of a similar reaction when they open the doors into the fog signal building and they all kind of have that moment of, oh, wow. And that, <laughs> that's sort of uh, the, the, the first thing that comes out of people's mouths when they see it, because it really is just a sight to look at. Um, uh, and another highlight that we're very excited about is uh, next month in November – We're going to be opening up a brand new interpretive exhibit uh, in our oil bunker, which is right across from the Lighthouse Tower. That'll be talking a little bit about the shore whaling that happened here at the park, the indigenous people that lived here. And we'll have um, some actual whale baleen uh, on display. And baleen is what uh, whales have, uh, certain whales have, instead of teeth like humans do.
0: Oh, that sounds like a really good exhibit. Will the light station remain open during the upcoming restoration work, uh, which uh, that that's uh, starting next spring? Is that correct?
3: Yeah, the restoration work we are expecting to start spring or summer of next year, um, and we are currently expecting that the light station will stay open during that phase of the project.
0: So it won't have that big an effect as far as uh, visitation. Is that is that correct?
3: Right, yeah. Um, We are expecting to have some construction equipment here on the park, but we are expecting it to take up not really that much more space than is currently fenced off around the lighthouse tower, so um, we're expecting everything to be essentially open as normal.
0: And in a sense, that almost becomes an added exhibit, so people can actually see the the restoration work in in progress.
3: Yeah, it'll be a really, really exciting time. Um, It You could almost make the connection of of it it would have looked very similarly in, in the 1870s when they were putting it together in the first place.
0: That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, that's always the, the I can't. I think kind of the positive spin you can put a, on a, a project when restoration work is going on. Sometimes people express a little bit of disappointment. They come and they see scaffolding or whatever, and they say, "Oh, that ruins the photographs." But I but I always say it. It's a demonstration. It's proof of the the love that people have for the lighthouse. It shows that that uh, people care. And uh, you know, without that, obviously the lighthouse isn't going to last for future generations. Now, uh, when I was there in 2015, in the spring of 2015, it was I think it was uh, considered uh, wildflower season, and uh, certainly the the station is beautiful in itself. The buildings are beautiful. The lighthouse is beautiful. There's a lot more to see there, like the the flowers and marine life, uh, as well. Uh, maybe you could say a little bit about that. Uh, what else people see there besides the, the light station itself?
3: Yeah, definitely. Just to sort of touch a little bit about the wildflowers. I think that's uh, an important thing to mention as well. That's actually all of those wildflowers are, uh, due to a very large volunteer project that we actually have here at the park. Um, so in years past, Most of what you would see in terms of plant life here at the park was ice plant, which is that uh, sort of iconic succulent plant that you see a lot of here on the West Coast. Um, It has these really, personally, I think, um, beautiful, bright uh, purple-pink or yellow flowers. Um, You see it almost everywhere, but it's actually non-native to California. Um, So we have some volunteers here who come out um, once a month or more, and actually do a lot of removal of that ice plant and then plant native uh California plants instead. Um and they've been doing a lot of war- a lot of uh work here at the park and they they still have a lot of work left to do. Um but the the beauty and um the sort of spectacular views that we get now of all of these amazing wildflowers in bloom in the spring is is due in large part to that huge volunteer effort that we've got. So um you know, we're very, very grateful for them and, and really excited to see that continue. Um, that also has an impact on the, on the wildlife that we see here in the park. So We've had a lot of native, um, native insects return, lots of butterflies and, and birds return to the park as well, lots of songbirds and things like that, that that weren't here prior when the ice plant was sort of, you know, taken over and, and covering everything. Um, we actually, this year, had uh, two, a, had a black oyster catcher pair um, with three chicks that had completely fledged and just recently flown the coop, so that was really exciting. Um, I know that, that people are, are really interested in that species to make sure that they're, they're nesting and doing all right. Uh, we have lots of brown pelicans that fly by constantly, lots of uh, western and California gulls, as you would expect here on the California coast. Um, and uh, a little less often, we, we get lots of whales here at Pigeon Point. So currently, Um, here uh, at our park, we have humpback whales kind of going up and down the coast following the food. They're a little bit harder to spot. You have to be sort of in the right place at the right time. They're quite far out to sea. So mostly what you're just going to see is the spouts, maybe a tail if you get kind of lucky. The best time if you want to see some whales out here is in March, April, and May in the spring. That's when we have the gray whales migrating north from Baja, California, um, or Baja uh, in Mexico, pardon me. Um, back up to uh, Alaska um, in the northern coast, Um, and they pass right by Pigeon Point. In April and May, the new mothers are migrating north with their calves, so they come very close to shore. They're very easy to spot, and we see them very, very frequently, almost every day in years past. Um, So that's a really excellent time if you are um, an avid whale watcher to come out to Pigeon Point. And, and see that wildlife. Um, we also have lots of harbor seals that hang out almost every single day. If you come in the early morning or in the afternoon, kind of during low tide, you'll see them hauled out on the rocks,
0: napping, enjoying the sunshine. Well, it's a special place for sure. Now there's also the hostel at the light station. Uh, I know it's run by a separate organization, nothing to do with the state park, but maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about the hostel.
3: Yeah, the hostel is run by an independent organization. Um, they're now known as Hostelling International. Um, they have been at the park for, for quite a long time. Um, they've been here for a while. Uh, they're a great partner. We love having them here. We actually recently had an event together for stargazing um, here at the park that they helped us out with. It went really well. Um, folks can rent through the hostel either a private suite or they can rent beds in a dormitory-style room. Um, I think they have co-ed or gender-specific rooms that you can rent. Um, they're actually pretty affordable, especially for this stretch of coast. It can get a little expensive um, in terms of uh, renting a place to stay for the night. So it's it's a good spot, and um, you can't really beat the view, you know, <laughs> in terms of where you'll be sleeping. Um, if people want more information, they can always call the hostel. I have their phone number right here. It's uh, 650-879-0633. Um, they can also email the hostel at pigeonpoint at hi dot org um, if they want to get more information from them.
0: Do you uh, sometimes have special events. You mentioned the upcoming uh, special tours that are happening, but there's a really special event that's coming up on November 16th. I believe that's a Saturday.
3: Yeah, we have a big event every year for our anniversary. Um, So we will have a food truck out. We have live music. We have information booths from our neighboring parks and other organizations. We have children's activities. um, And we actually just confirmed today that the nonprofit organization Kinetic Steamworks will be here um, with a 1900 printing press uh, with a custom print that they've made for the 147th anniversary, giving that away. Um, we'll also have, uh, Joanne Simone's, uh, maritime author here, signing copies of her books. Um, and from five to seven, um, the Fresnel lens will be on display in our fog signal building with the light lit so that people can see, um, more in its, its magnificence that that sort of bright light coming out of it. Um, but the main event is from one to five.
0: Yeah. I'm looking right in front of me right now at the, uh, parks.ca.gov website that lists information about that event Uh, so that's one of the places people can get more information and it looks like there's a a phone number as well 650-879-2120 would that be the right number people could call for information? That's correct they could also check our Facebook page as well. Okay Facebook page for Pigeon Point uh, Light Station State Historic Park is that correct?
3: Yeah, our Facebook page, is. they just go to facebook.com slash Pigeon Point Lighthouse, it'll pop right up, or they can search Pigeon Point Light Station State Historic Park, uh, and either one will take you to our Facebook page.
0: Okay, that looks like a a really good event. Again, that's November 16th, the uh, anniversary program for Pigeon Point Light Station. Uh, Now, how can people get involved uh, with Pigeon Point Light Station? Do you have volunteers?
3: Yeah, we have a pretty strong docent program here at our park. Um, that said, we're always looking to bring more volunteers on. Without the volunteers here at the park, we really wouldn't be able to get much done. So we're we're always looking to bring more people on. We have lots of opportunities for po- for folks who are passionate about lighthouse history or um, you know natural history of of aquatic mammals or birds. Um, So if people are interested in becoming a volunteer at our park, we really only ask for one day a month that they come out and volunteer. It's not a huge requirement. Um, If they want more information, they can always call the park uh, phone number that you had mentioned earlier. But uh, just one more time, it's 650-879-2120. I believe we also have some information on our park's website as well if they want to find out more about what uh, becoming a volunteer at our park
0: looks like. Sounds good. If I wasn't 3,000 miles away, I'd consider it, for sure. (laughs) Uh, I have one final question for you. Uh, What's your personal favorite thing about Pigeon Point Light Station?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Not to give you sort of a a non-answer, but uh, it's, it's, it's everything. I really love everything about this park. You know, everything from the architecture, not to brag, but we are tied with Point Arena for the tallest lighthouse on the West Coast, um, to the, the wildlife that we have here at the park, to the geography, to its history, you know, to the history of, of, of both the people that have lived here and the engineering that it took to, to create this structure and the Fresnel lens that operates it, you know, everything about this place I love. I think it's such a treasure on the West coast and it really is a must see for people traveling by, or even for locals just to learn about our, our local history. I think it's a really important place.
0: That's a fair answer. I'll accept that. Well, thank you so much, Joe Rogers, Park Interpreter for Pigeon Point Light Station State Historic Park. I appreciate you spending this time with me today, and I can't wait to get back out there sometime. It's a wonderful place, so thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate it.
3: Yeah, thank you for having me, and and we look forward to having you out here at the park. Hopefully, sooner rather than later.
1: We're going to stay in California for a history segment today, and we're going to tell you about the first light station on the west coast. A little less than 50 miles north of Pigeon Point Light Station is San Francisco Bay. In just a few short years in the middle of the 19th century, the tiny settlement of San Francisco grew from a mere 200 residents to a booming 36,000 by 1852 thanks to the gold rush.
0: Some 300,000 people came to the west coast in the period from 1848 to 1855, about half of them coming by sea. With the gold rush in full swing, Congress passed Acts In 1850 and 1851, authorizing the establishment of eight lighthouses in California, Alcatraz Island, one and a half miles offshore in San Francisco Bay, was among the original sites chosen. The name of the island comes from a Spanish word for pelican, a bird whose nests dominated the island in the early 1800s. A
1: so-called Cape Cod-style lighthouse was constructed, similar to the other early lighthouses in California, with a round tower rising from the center of the dwelling, 48 feet tall in all. Construction was finished by July 1853, but there were delays in getting a lens to the site. With a third-order Fresnel lens showing a fixed white light visible for about 14 miles, the lighthouse went into service on June 1, 1854. It was the first lighthouse on the west coast.
0: In response to the frequent fogs in the bay, a fog bell was added to the station in 1856. It was sounded by hand at first, but automatic striking machinery was later installed. A powerful 3,000-pound bell was installed in 1901. Fog horns were later established at the north and south ends of the island, and prison guards helped by notifying the keepers when fog was approaching. In 1902, a 4th order Fresnel lens with a flashing characteristic replaced the original lens, which was transferred to the Cape St. Elias light in Alaska.
1: A fort known as the Alcatraz Citadel was built very close to the lighthouse in the late 1850s. When President Lincoln was assassinated, 39 people served time for celebrating the event in part of the Citadel, marking the first use of Alcatraz as a prison. The citadel was later demolished and a massive new prison with 600 cells was built in its place. Alcatraz served as a military prison until 1933, then as a federal penitentiary until it closed in 1963.
0: Surrounded by cold water and isolated from the mainland, the prison was virtually inescapable. Of the 36 men who tried to escape from the rock, only three were never found. The rest were shot, drowned, or recaptured.
1: With the arrival of the prison, the position of the lighthouse had to be changed. The 1854 structure, which had been damaged in the earthquake of 1906, was replaced in 1909 by the 84-foot concrete tower that still stands today. The lighthouse had a principal keeper and three assistants by the early 1900s, and spacious new dwellings were built for the keepers and their families at the same time the lighthouse was rebuilt
0: edward schneider who served 28 years as a keeper at alcatraz was in charge when a major prison break occurred in may 1946. prison guards were taken hostage and the marines were called in the battle of alcatraz was over after two days but not before two guards and three inmates were killed
1: the light was automated and the keepers were removed when the prison closed in 1963 Beginning in November 1969, Alcatraz survived a 19-month occupation by a group of Native Americans who claimed ownership of the island. In 1970, during the occupation, a fire destroyed several buildings, including the keeper's dwellings. The National Park Service now manages the island as part of the Golden Gate National Recreation Area.
0: In recent years, the U.S. Lighthouse Society has been working with the National Park Service and the U.S. Coast Guard for the restoration of Alcatraz Lighthouse, with funding from Land's End.
1: That's all for Episode 33 of Lighthearted. Thank you to Linda Hitchcock and Joe Rogers of the Pigeon Point Light Station State Historic Park.
0: Thank you to all the volunteers, staff, and members of the U.S. Lighthouse Society around the U.S. and around the world. Be sure to go to uslhs.org to learn about memberships, tours, the passport program, the J. Candace Clifford Lighthouse Research Catalog, and everything else the Society has to offer. And check out the U.S. Lighthouse Society on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
1: If you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review us. Thank you to T. Thomas59, who recently posted a review that said, These shows bring the history and excitement of lighthouses to the public in a very easy and informative way. They also include the great idea of interesting places to visit. And thanks to KO underscore X, who posted a review that said, Always something new. I literally take notes when I listen. I learn so much.
0: Thank you so much, Michelle, for co-hosting today. And as always, thank you everybody for listening and
1: keep a good light.
3: I'm gonna let it shine Let it
0: shine, let it shine